Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Uh, as we've learned over the course of the last few weeks, uh, that God does continually provide for us when he invites us into his story. And uh, uh, when we show up, he shows up uh, in big ways. And so uh, if you're just catching us because uh, it's Mother's Day or another thing, uh, and you're a mom out there that would, uh, uh, this is kind of piqued your interest, uh, you can fill out one of those connection cards and uh, drop it uh, in the offering boxes on your way out or stop by the Welcome Center, drop it off. Uh, We'll get you some information. If you want to be involved in that ministry, Certainly stop by the Welcome Center. Let us know. We'll get you connected uh, with, uh, with what you would need to know and who you need to talk to so you can get involved uh, in all that. Uh, this is part of a series where we're talking about proving ground. Proving ground uh, is, is, is just what it says. It's the fact that faith uh, is proved right here on the ground, that uh, faith is not primarily something mystical or philosophical, that it's very practical. Uh, it has everything to do with how we live our life, the practical areas of our life. And so what we've been talking about uh, through all these series uh, of talks is been looking at different figures throughout Scripture uh, and how God has proved himself faithful when he invites them into his story and how he provides for them. We've talked about people like Gideon. We've talked about Elijah. We've talked about Joshua and Jericho, David and Solomon. And we're going to get back into it today. And each with each one of them, they've, uh, they've all kind of followed a similar pattern, but kind of displayed to us maybe a nuance of what it means to prove faith and to follow, follow God. And today's no different. Today, we're going to be talking about fear. Uh, and fear is a powerful thing. Uh, I mean, if you just think about uh, the adrenaline rush that some people are addicted to because of fear, like, I mean, maybe you like scary movies. I personally do not uh, like scary movies, but maybe that's you. Uh, There's something that some people are addicted to because of the fear. It kind of ignites something in them, a feeling uh, of euphoria a little bit, and it's kind of, it's just kind of tapping into that powerful thing. And that's why some people um, jump out of perfectly good airplanes uh, and skydive, which I've never, uh, I have actually never understood why somebody would want to do that, but maybe that's your thing. Uh, but you, you talk to people like that and they say, man, it's just that you feel alive when you feel that fear, you know, it's just kind of like you're on the edge of everything. I, I just don't have that gear in my brain, you know, whatever that is. Uh, some people are not afraid of snakes. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. Uh, I don't really want to pick one up. I, I don't have, um, you know, it's like, hey, that's great. I'm not going to bother you, but I, I don't really want to touch you, you know, that kind of thing. Fear is a powerful thing. Uh, and some of those things can kind of be funny, but they're controllable. Like, I, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane, okay? I just don't go see scary movies, and I don't touch snakes. Uh, but there's some things in life that you can't avoid. Uh, and the one thing that you can't avoid that I think is probably the thing more than anything that uh, causes fear uh, in us is just simply the future. If you think about what fear is, fear is uh, a feeling that is experienced in the present, but it has everything typically to do with the future. Uh, And typically when we look at the future, what we're really talking about is the unknowns because the future is unknown. And we transfer the things of the future into the present and we begin to feel something based on something that has not happened yet. And some of us are just paralyzed with this. And at different points, you can come in and out of that. And fear for us has everything to do with faith. And so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about from Luke chapter 1, finding favor in the face of fear. 
How do you find favor in the face of fear? And the person we're going to be looking uh, at is uh, the person of Mary. Now, we're not talking about her because she's the mother of Jesus. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. So uh, if you came expecting that, I don't know, catch one online on the way home. I'm sorry about that. Uh, This is just part of the series. Um, And we're not picking her because she's some docile figure that's kind of been... um, I want to say she's kind of been constrained to the Christmas story, and she's almost like uh, at the nativity scene. She's kind of like on the sideline. Uh, She's right there with Joseph. She's right there with all the other animals in the manger and stuff like that. We're talking about her today primarily because she, as an individual, as a person, probably more than anybody else I can think of, had to live the proving ground of faith. Her faith in the moment had everything to do with finding favor in the face of fear. And with her, we get this beautiful story of how God empowers people, people that are uh, unassuming, people that would typically fade to the background, that those are exactly the type of people that God picks, those are exactly the type of people that God uses. And so as we look at Mary, I hope we'll find some favor in the face of fear. Let's get introduced to her real quick. Uh, You're familiar with her, uh, but it's not December, so I got to remind you really quick. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is the first instance we see of Mary. We're introduced to her in the context of a greater story. And where we get her is from uh, the words of Luke. Uh, If you remember Luke's gospel, Luke's uh, initiative was to write a detailed account of everything that happened with Jesus. Uh, He was a historian of sorts. He was trying to get all the details. And if you think about when Luke was written, it was written uh, after the death of Jesus. And so this story has to be told from the mouth uh, of Mary. Mary would have had to share these details because nobody else would have been privy to the information you're about to hear. Luke would have had to have had would have had to hear that from John or one of the others or Mary herself. And so this is kind of going behind the curtain. This is getting somewhere where typically we would not get to go. This is the behind the scenes story of what the proving ground of faith look like, and it had everything to do with a story that began in fear. And what she begins to describe and what Luke tells the tale of is a story that starts in fear and then ends in favor. This is where the story goes in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Every story we've had up to this point has been a story that was initiated by God, where God steps in, has an encounter with someone, invites them into the story, uh, finds them in uh, out-of-the-way places like Gideon uh, in a wine press, you know, uh, things of that nature. God finds people that are unassuming, uh, that uh, the world would never look to, and he pulls them into the story. And in this particular moment, uh, he comes with a greeting of favor, but it is interpreted in fear. 
Uh, and this is typically what happens when we encounter God, really. When we encounter God uh, on our very real level, uh, oftentimes it becomes fearful. Some of us think the word favor means that, oh, everything's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. When I meet with God, everything just kind of the sky opens up, the birds are singing and all those type of things. But this was a scary moment. Uh, a lot of us, when we look at meeting with God, we're like, we're, most of our fear is because we don't know the future and we say things to God like, God, if you would just show up. Have you ever said this, God, if you would just show up and tell me what to do, everything would be great. If you've ever said that, would you just raise your hand? A few of us are willing. Yeah, we say that kind of thing. What if that's the thing that would be the scariest? <laughs> if God actually showed up and the fear wasn't because of silence, but the, the fear was initiated because God was vocal, because God actually told you to do something. What if the very thing that we're asking God to do is be vocal with us, spell everything out, tell us what he wants us to do, is actually the thing that could incite fear, not remove fear. That was the initial response uh, of Mary in this situation. She was afraid from meeting with God. God was saying your favor, but she interpreted it with fear because that's what happens when you meet with God on a personal level. God does not leave you in a comfortable place. And a lot of us, we come to faith to get comfortable. We say things like, well, the world is so hard. I just need something to find peace. And God will give you peace for sure. But he will also challenge your comfort zone. He will also push you to things that you never thought you would do. And that's exactly what's about to happen with Mary. And if you can't really get in the mindset, think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. Let's just say uh, you're, uh, you're at work and your boss uh, calls you and he says, hey, I need you to see me in my office right now. What's your first reaction to that? Oh, okay, cool. We're going to go hang out. No, you're not thinking that. You're thinking... What kind of message is this? What's about to happen? Some of you that are students in high school, junior high, uh, it's when, uh, I don't even know if they do this anymore, so this is from the 80s, okay? But they would come on the, uh, the intercom. Do they still have intercoms in schools? Okay, I don't know. Uh, they would come on the intercom and the principal, they would say, hey, I need to see Dan in the principal's office. And everybody in the class, what would everybody in the class do? Ooh, yeah, see, you knew, yeah. You, you knew what they do. Yeah, because what, what kind of message is this going to be? You get a letter in the mail. You're going through, your, you're going through oh, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail, and you see that one that says addressed to Dan Reeves. And you're like, oh, okay, this looks like an actual letter, and you look up on the corner of the return address, and it has three letters, I-R-S. <laughs> you're like, what kind of message is this going to be? And we have a natural inclination of fear, don't we, when an authority or someone perceived to be an authority over us speaks to us. Because we know this is not a normal day. This is not a normal moment. There is a normal feeling of emotion and fear that just is ingrained into life for us of what will the future be. And oftentimes we look into the future and it can be so overwhelming for us that we don't even want to enter into the future. We can't imagine a future where God is already there. And so in the story, what we get is we get the very real story of a message of favor that's interpreted as fear, and it's perfectly understandable. But what we're also going to see in this passage is a couple of other key things. Watch the response in verse 30 and 31. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
Now, two things we're gonna look at over the course of the next few minutes. And the first one is affirmation. And the second one is an assignment. What you see in verse 30 is you see an affirmation and you see an assignment. And this is God's response to the initial interpretation of favor as fear. God wants to affirm something, but he doesn't wanna stop at affirmation. Oh, how we wish that were true. (laughs) But what he wants to do is he wants to move from affirmation to an assignment. Here, you saw it, right? In verse 30 and 31, you can see it. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. There's the affirmation. Don't be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. God wants you to rest in his strength. He wants you to know who he is. And so he gives an affirmation. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Now, to define the word favor for just a second, because most of us in our relationship to God, we use the word favor, but we use it differently. Uh, We don't use the word, hey, I have, God has given you favor, I have favor with God. We do it in asking God for favors. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Where a lot of our dealings with God is, hey, I, I need you to do me a favor, God. You know what it's like when you ask somebody to do a favor. It either means that you want them to remove something or that you want them to give you something. So you might, you might call somebody, uh, you get a ticket, right? You, you've got a, a buddy that, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna say this happens, okay? But you're like somebody that works for the police station. All right, I know the chief goes here and I know you're back there, buddy. Uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. But somebody says, hey, can you, uh, can you uh, work out on this ticket for me, right? I need you to do me a favor. What you mean is I, I need you to remove this, right? So that I don't have to pay this. How many times have we done that with God? God, I need you to remove this so I don't have to endure this. I don't have to go through this. Uh, Sometimes we just go to God for favors. God, I need you to remove this. And God wants to hear your prayers and he hears all of them and he's a good father and he answers prayer. That's why we pray to him. He does that kind of stuff. But a lot of times that's really the sum total of our relationship with God. It's, It's God, I want you to remove something. And if it's not removing something, sometimes the favor is, God, I want you to give me something. I need you to give me strength, God. I need you to give me some finances. It's the end of the month, and there's more month at the end of the money, you know, and all those type of things. God, would you give me something? And that's a favor. We do that with people all the time. Say, hey, man, can can you do me a favor? Can I borrow something from you? Can I get something from you? And so a lot of times we hear the word favor, And we think of asking God for favors. But something different is going on here. The favor that we're talking about is not asking God for anything. It's something that God grants us. It's something that God gives us. The origin of the favor is not us toward God, but it's God toward us. It's God initiating the action. It's God pursuing us. It's God getting involved in our lives. And that's what was happening with Mary at this moment. God finds her. He has to overcome her interpretation of fear. And then what he speaks is an affirmation. But what he's actually going to do is he's going to change some things. And a few things that he's going to change, just real quick, a few things that happen with her, just so you can get a brief synopsis of it. There's a, I just put like three things up here. With Mary, the first thing that happened was this upended the cultural narrative of what a devout Jewish girl would look like. In her mind, the fear was as soon as she heard that, she knew what this would mean. This is not normal. And what's about to happen in Mary's story is it's going to 
upend the cultural narrative of what everyone would expect of a young Jewish girl to look like, somebody that was devout following God. This was about to reverse the order. It was about to turn things over, right? But the other thing that it did is it upends our cultural narrative of who God uses to bring redemption. It changes the way that we see how God works, what we would perceive and understand about him. But the other thing that it does, the third thing it does is it upends our, our cultural narrative of what favor and blessing actually look like. What does it actually look like to be favored and blessed? Well, the way that she interpreted this, uh, this, this, this kind of this episode in her life, you, you actually get the insight into it uh, later in Luke chapter one, verse 46. If you follow down uh, in the passage, it's called the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is a song that Mary sings or writes to God about her experience. And this is interesting because what you have with Mary is this is her response. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She says it better than anyone. She says, hey, at this point, like I, I realize that I'm in this humble estate. I, I'm in this spot that no one could have imagined. I, I, I'm being... I'm being thrust into this story and it's upending every understanding and conception of who God is and how the world works. God steps into the story. This is the proving ground of faith. And this calls into questions our common understanding and what people try to sell as favor and blessing from God. We, we wanna say favor and blessing looks like financial wealth. It looks like health. It looks like things going well and smooth. But what we're about to find out is that none of those are true for Mary. None of those things with faith for her meant that everything in her life was not upended. And what we also understand from her own testimony is an understanding of her own weakness was the foundation of her faith. And this is good news for us because what this means is that weakness is not a disqualification for God's favor. It's actually a prerequisite. If you feel weak today and you say, well, I can't do this faith thing. I can't follow God. I, I, I mean, I've tried, to, I've tried and I've failed. I've fallen my face over and over and over again. If anybody knew the real me, you say these type of things. I mean, I hear people say to me, hey, preacher, if you un only understood, I mean, God can't save somebody like me. God can't change somebody like me. Well, what I want to tell you is that weakness is not a disqualification for God's favor. It's actually a prerequisite. And what this means is a different understanding of an interaction with God, who God is, what God's up to, and a new understanding of what favor and blessing actually look like. What did favor look like for Mary in practicality? Well, the first thing it looked like was difficult conversations. I mean, imagine telling this story. I mean, we're in church, we're sitting in rows, we've been to Christmas services before, You've seen the nativity scenes. Okay, you're a little bit, you've got a buffer a little bit, right? You, it's been softened on you, but imagine uh, a young Jewish girl going to Joseph. You get that story later. And the, the big question that was thrown in front of her and everyone, you know, favor meant for her, it meant difficult conversations. Could it be that favor from God in your situation wouldn't be the removal of difficult conversations, but actually addition 
of difficult conversations. We don't, we don't like that, but that is the story of Scripture. It moves us, favor of God. God is affirming us, and he's assigning us things, and it moves us into difficult conversations. Those difficult conversations oftentimes lead to dangerous circumstances. Uh, as a young Jewish girl growing up in a Torah-rich world, uh, and a world that uh, women were not given any rights, really, uh, in society as part of the cultural narrative, in this moment, her mind would have actually had to go immediately to something she would have learned in the Torah that in order to kind of tell this story, it could put her life in danger. Why is that? Because basically what she would be saying is she was what was known in Hebrew as a sota. It was someone that was a known adulteress. There was no other explanation other than some kind of confounded, confusing story about some angel that met with her. I mean, who's going to believe that story? And what the story would mean if she was a sota was mean that she would actually be, could be stoned. At the very least, she'd be divorced, she'd be ostracized, she would be taunted, she would be ridiculed. And not only her, this newborn baby of hers, according to Deuteronomy 23.2, would mean that not only could she not be a part of the assembly of God's people, but her son, her illegitimate son, never could either. This was a dangerous situation. Could it be that the favor of God doesn't look like ease, but looks like danger? And here's the other thing that it often means is that with all the difficult conversations and all the dangerous circumstances, the future meant that the, the evidence was deferred. This was deferred evidence. I mean, by the nature of the fact that it's a pregnancy, you know, that's kind of develops over time, right? I mean, nine months, give or take. And you begin to see someone, and at the beginning, uh, it doesn't look like it looks at nine months, Right? And as that happens, you've been able to tell this story, but the evidence is not there, but not just the birth, but what would happen after the birth? What would this story actually play out to be? Right now, all she had was the word of God. She didn't have all the evidence. All she was left with was difficult conversations and dangerous circumstances. And what this tells us is that the definition of favor is not a formula, and it's not a feeling. Some people will tell you, hey, favor is, hey, do this, and God will bless you. Some people will say, well, favor is just a feeling. You just have to rest in the feeling. Favor is neither a formula of what you can get from God, or is it a feeling that God just gives you. Favor is the promise of the presence of God in your life to fulfill his purpose, that's what favor is. When he messages her and he says, hey, listen, you have the favor of God. What was he saying? He says, you have the promise of my presence and I'm going to help you to fulfill my purpose. And that is the same truth for us. The same story is for us that God wants to move in our lives to the extent that he wants to promise his presence to fulfill his purpose in our life. He wants to invite us in and he wants to provide for us what we need in order to do what he's called us to do. And as we've said through the duration of this series, every single person in here has been called to be a part of the kingdom of God, to, to live on some sphere, in some place, to be an active member of what God wants to do in his creation. This is what God wants to do in you, and it's what he was doing in her. This was a new definition of what favor actually looked like. Now, 
If you can find that, it's the key to understanding how you can overcome fear and move into the future. And that has everything to do with verse 32. Look at the future tense. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, he speaks to her in future tense. This is what's going to happen because remember the evidence is deferred. This is everything that's gonna happen in the future. And so the fear of, uh, the feeling of fear in the present has everything to do with what will happen. And so what does God do? He says, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. This baby that you're going to be given is going to be the son of the most high. He's gonna get the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Kingdom language is bathed in scripture. Uh, we've talked about this through the duration of this series. We talked about it last week, just uh, uh, kind of uh, in, in a short way when we looked at David and Solomon and the promise that somebody would always be on the throne of David. Ultimately, Solomon and the other following kings were a shadow that were leading to the permanent and eternal king of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, it, is, it is juxtaposed or it's contrasted with the future and the past and the present is right now. And this is where the angel says, this is what's going to be. He cloaks it and he covers it in the story, the eternal story of God. And so what he does is he places Mary in the middle of this grand story and he says, I know this is the way you're feeling, but let me tell you how this thing's gonna turn out. And how do you know how Mary responded? Well, once again, if you go to her Magnificat in Luke chapter one, verses 51 and following, watch the change in tense. When God speaks to her, he speaks in future tense. But see if you can pick up on the way that she speaks. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." She moves from future tense and her interpretation of events is in past tense. She's saying that because of the promise of God, what God said will happen is a present reality. This is the life of faith for God's people. Uh, we don't have to wonder what's gonna happen in the next political cycle. We don't have to wonder what's gonna happen in the morning and what the Dow Jones is gonna do. We don't have to work and, and see what's the next cultural thing that's coming down the pipe. What do we have to do? We have to connect ourselves to the one who promised and the one who is fulfilling that promise and that's where we find our purpose, right here in the present. And so for her, what does she do? We, we realize that she sees, she's a cultural, contextual theologian. Mary is a contextual theologian. She's looking at her circumstance in the presence and what was her circumstance? Her circumstance was Herod was on the throne. This is the guy that um, he incited taxes or instigated taxes on, on the Jewish people that were so exorbitant that they could not even really sustain life. Uh, this was the, the same guy that was so paranoid that he killed his own family members and children because he thought, well, they're gonna try to take what's mine. Her whole life, her young life had been lived in oppression. 
lived in poverty. And she is a contextual theologian. She saw the story of God. And what we see is that, yes, she was a person of humility. She said, oh, how would you consider my uh, lowly estate? But she was also a person of justice, and that made her a person of danger. She said that in this situation, I'm going to challenge just by accepting God's purpose in my life, I am challenging the cultural norm of this day. I'm gonna take what's go- what God has said and I'm going to apply it to my current situation. And this made her dangerous. Why is that? Because she was challenging the institution that she was living within. And she was saying, at this point, I realize that what God is doing is he is upending all of society. See, we don't think of salvation in these terms. We don't think of God moving in these terms. We think about, oh, God wants to, wants to take my soul to heaven. God is up to so much of a bigger story than just you. He is trying to work toward, by including us in this story, just like Mary, to actually change the way the world works. The gospel, the robust picture of the gospel is not just about what you can get out of God and where you end up someday. Those are hugely important things where you're gonna end up. But that's not the whole story. God's picture, his kingdom reign, means that he disposes kings. He uplifts the low. He feeds the hungry, and he clothes the naked. He helps the widow. He helps the orphan. He helps those that are on the fringes and on the margins. And when God shows up, he levels the playing field, and he brings everyone into the kingdom of God. And Mary understood this, and this made her dangerous. But there's always a practical question in the midst of the danger, right? And that's where you get her. She, she asked the normal question you're going to ask. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I, I, I mean, this, I always want to know how God's going to do it. I feel like God always tells me something. And then in the future, I'm like, okay, well, how are you going to do that? That's always my next question because I, I, I just want to work a plan, get there, you know, that kind of thing. But God doesn't always give me the plan, but here he specifically gave her the plan to the question, well, how will this be? And I think it probably blew her mind. This is what she, this is how the angel responds to her. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her six months. So there's a thing we don't have time to talk about with there's a whole um, interplay between Elizabeth's story and she's old and she has a, has a child. Happy Mother's Day, you know, uh, for that one. And then you've got the story of Mary and she's young and there's this whole thing going on by kind of going back to like Abraham and Sarah and how that miracle was one that everybody expected and they had recited that story and remember God faithfulness for the path. Well, that was Elizabeth's story. But God inserts into that picture, into that frame of understanding of how God works, he inserts Mary into the story and in doing so challenges a new level of belief because this, if Having a child in your old age seems impossible. Well, let me just raise the bar on you for a second. And let's just say that in this situation, what makes someone pregnant never happened. Never happened. This is the challenge of faith. How's it going to happen? The power of the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. 
And this is how we know how this will actually happen. This is the good news. This is the good news that's embedded within this in verse 37 and 38. For no word from God will ever fail. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Some of your translations uh, probably have it in a way that I like better. It says, may it be or let it be. It's basically like she's saying, bring it on. Let's do this. It's time. Let's go. Because no word from God will ever fail. You know, when God speaks a word, it's the end of discussion. When he speaks a word, he has authority, doesn't he? I love the fact that we have a God who spoke everything into existence. The way the story goes is that God stepped out into chaos and he brought order. We see instances where Jesus would step out onto a raging sea and he would speak to the winds and the waves. And because of his authority, they would obey him. He would speak to dead bodies like Lazarus and he'd say, come forth, come out, take off his grave clothes, he's alive. Jesus is still in the business of speaking authoritative words into our world, into our lives, and he puts us right in the middle of it. But our belief, our faith on the proving ground will be tested. And that's exactly what happened with Mary. Interestingly about Mary's story, uh, we probably just need to do a whole series on her. But she has uh, so many unique things about her. But one of the most unique things I think about her is she is the only figure in the Bible to be at five different places within the story of Jesus. Here, let me follow, you, follow along with me real quick. This is what we'll close with. She was obviously present at the birth of Jesus. Hello, she was there, okay. And so she heard the voice of God, the cry of the voice of God for the first time. She was the first one to hear it. But not only that, she was also one who followed Jesus as a disciple. The story goes uh, in the gospels where it says that the women, along with some of the other disciples, followed Jesus and they cared for his needs. She was a disciple. So not only did she give birth, but she heard the teachings of Jesus. And she put her faith and trust in Jesus to follow him as the Messiah. Uniquely, she was also one that stayed with him at the cross. She was there and she heard the pounding thud of the nails going into the cross. She was there at his feet when Jesus looked to John that was standing next to her and said, today, this is your mother, will you take care of her? You see, this is the woman, this is the person that was at the birth and heard the cries, who heard him teach and heard the cries of anguish of her son. But she was also the one who saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus showed himself uh, to the disciples. And she was one of the disciples. She was one of the ones following Jesus. And so J Jesus revealed himself to her. And if you follow the story to its totality, the last instance you see of, of Mary in Acts chapter 1 is that she's present at Pentecost. When she's in the upper room with the disciples, and as Jesus had instructed all of them to do, there's about 120 of them. 
and they're in the upper room and they're waiting on the wind of God, the Holy Spirit to come and indwell them. How is God gonna do this? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And she waited that day and the Holy Spirit, they heard the Spirit rush into the room like a sound of mighty thunder. And this is what it means to be on the proving ground of faith. There were chances in every one of those to not believe. They were all filled with difficult conversations, dangerous circumstances, and deferred evidence. When Jesus said, this is what's gonna happen, when he was at the cross and he said it is finished and it looked like it was over, and then when he was on the resurrection, he ascended on high and he said, you're gonna have to wait again because the Spirit's gonna come before this thing takes on a new turn. Every part of the way was a proving ground of faith. And Mary's faith was fierce. She was strong. She was a woman of justice. She was a woman of danger. And she was a person on the proving ground of faith, just like me and you. And so as we move forward in our calling in the present, as we look to the future, each of us, I know that God has something in front of each one of us. But God's word will never fail. Nothing is impossible with God. Are you on the edge of defeat? Does it look like it's not gonna end well? All I think the Lord wanted me to say to you today was this, is don't give up. Keep moving forward. Keep following Jesus. God has a plan. God's at work. He's in charge. I'd like to pray over you as we finish. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that you fulfill us every longing that we have. Lord, we so often come to you and just ask for favors, but you want to give us your very self. You don't want, us to, you don't want to give us something that's fleeting, something that can be taken away later or disappoint. You want, us to, you want to give us your very self. And so, Lord, we pray that today that we would put our faith and trust in you and you alone, not on earthly things, God, that we would be ushered into this week with the power of the Spirit on us and the Word and the wind of God at our backs and that we would walk into our jobs, our schools, our families, out into our society, and we would be the breath of heaven. We would come and be the fragrance of the King, that we would be the people you've called us to be. Strengthen us now, God, for all that you are with the power of your spirit. Speak to us, God. Give us faith where we struggle to believe and help us to follow. In Jesus' name.